Welcome back to the Two Black Runners podcast presented by The Runner Report. I'm your host, Joshua Potts, and this week we have such a good podcast. Like, I bet you already know. You already know by the name, by the title. You already know this is going to be a good one, and that's probably the reason why you clicked on this podcast. But before we get into that, I just want to thank everybody for the past 28 weeks, all the love and support that we have gotten. And I just have to remind you guys, don't forget to rate, subscribe, share the podcast. Just keep on growing the Two Black Runners podcast. That's what we're all about, pushing the sport forward in every which way possible. But honestly, let's get right into it. I know you guys have to be excited for the person we have to interview this week. Before I get into it, you know I got to introduce the brother from the same mother, Aaron Potts, super hot Potts, doing every single day Potts. Aaron in the building. Aaron, how's it going? How's it going? Bro, I can't tell you how excited I am for this interview. You know how much I be pushing for for uh, I'm just gonna say it for Dalia Muhammad. You know how you know how we be getting in arguments about 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 this stuff when we talking track. So to have Dalia on, to have like to think we're 28 weeks in and we have um, a world champion, a, a, a world record holder on speaking with us is amazing. And like I say every time, like. Just to have these opportunities to speak to these people and gain more perspective and insight is an honor. So I just feel blessed and I'm excited to get into this today, bro. This is going to be a good one. I know for sure. Yeah, it's going to be a really good one, bro. So let's just get in. You already revealed who the guest is, but we got an NCAA All-American, 2016 Olympic medalist, 2017 world champion, and the world record holder in the 400-meter hurdles. Like, honestly, she's a GOAT. She is a GOAT, and she's on the podcast. Delilah Muhammad, how's everything going? And thanks you for joining us on the Two Black Runners podcast. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's going good. You know, I just started back my training this year, getting ready for the now 2021 Olympics, but... Um, it's, it's going good so far. Before we dive deeper into it, I think we usually ask like, how's like COVID right now and everything? That's our first question off the bat because that's what podcasts do nowadays. But honestly, I just have to ask like, how does it feel to be a world record holder? Like we never had like this type of person. A You're certified the fastest person, <laughs> fast person we ever had on the podcast. <laughs> like literally, uh, the only record I have is at my middle school track meet in the 800, and that's been there for about five years. I'm pretty, I'm pretty okay. proud of it. But like, that's, that's something. Have, that's definitely something. <laughs> to have the world record, you're like you're the fastest person, the fastest woman to run over hurdles over 400 meters to ever do it. How does that really feel? Has it really sunk in? Yeah, I know it's been a year, but has it sunk in? Oh man, uh, uh, that's not you know what. <laughs> It has. I think it has set in. But it, honestly, there's so many things that keep me humble. And it's just like you uh, you say that and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. But it's so many things in this world that definitely keep me humble. So I'm mm. so appreciative to be the world record holder. But on the flip, on the flip end, it's like I, I still need to get back to work. So I think that's kind of where my mind is at with it. It's like, yes, I've done it accomplished something so amazing, something that I never thought even possible, honestly. And but that's not the end. That's not the finish. And that's what it feels yeah. like. 100%. And, and you definitely uh, showed us that wasn't the end by, you know, winning the winning the Olympics in 2016 and then coming back and breaking the world record, not once, but two times. And yeah, that was incredible racing and to be at the top of your game and which we call the most competitive event in track and field right now. 
I mean, That's on women's and men's side, like to 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 win, to to win, you got to break a world record. So I can't I can't think of another event that's more competitive, especially in the in the USA. Does it ever like just dawn on you too that your event is just so like fast right now? It's so crazy. It is crazy. I think especially on the men's side, also you know, it's just like. Just across the board, it's like people are really, really showing up. Um, it's just kind of been this event that's just been kind of growing over the years, this last kind of like four years. And I guess one part, I'm just happy to be a part of it. And the other side, I'm like, okay, can everybody else relax a little bit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, chill out one second. Like, give, give her give her a break. Like, for real, for real. But before we get talk more about that, because especially we got to talk about the state of the 400 meter hurdles and really just your rise to the top and everything in between. Uh, just how has 2020 been for you? We're going to go to the generic, like, podcast question. And especially last, as a track and field athlete with the postponement, of the 2020 Tokyo Olympics to 2021. How was that dealing with all of that and everything else in the world this past year? How's that all been for you so far? Well, I think initially my thought was it sucked. Obviously, as track and field athletes, you train so hard for the Olympics. And it's kind of this four-year cycle that we're all knowing of. And we all train so much for that time to be really peaking at the, at the Olympics. Um, so when it got shut down, um, I guess initially it was just kind of a lot of just a little heartbreak and then also just the uncertainty uncertainty of not knowing like when we would be able to compete again was difficult. Um, but, you know, honestly, I think and I'm sure a lot of people can kind of relate to this. I think we kind of found so much blessings in this situation as well. And it just really gave me time to kind of take a step back, see why I'm doing what I'm doing, see the things that I value and just really appreciate the people in my life and how I guess I want to move forward and just really living more so for the um, the moment and not for what's to come and exactly. just taking it day by day. So that's kind of where I'm at it right now. Um, yeah. 100%. And I feel like every elite athlete we've had on uh, has a similar sentiment whenever we ask them this question. And yeah, it's all about just, you know, living in the moment, moment and like focusing more on what you can do than, and more than what you, what you can't. And that's how you improve and, and move forward. Uh, so definitely y'all listen, you take these, take these gems. We got, we got a goat, we got a goat in the room. So take these gems. But then also like, what was just like the biggest adjustment period for you? I know, uh, you just talked about like just trying to uh, stay in the moment and everything like that. But what was the biggest adjust adjustment period for you when it came to training at that time when I don't know if you're able to get onto a track when that was all happening? How were you able to stay grounded when there was so much uncertainty in the air? Oh, man, no. I live in California, Los Angeles. So, no, there was absolutely no track. And we just had a very, very extended fall season on the grass. So we were on the track initially and then our last day of training, we literally got caught up, um, got kicked off the track with helicopters like flying over our heads. So um, we were definitely out there to the last day possible. And mm. I mean, that was a huge adjustment just being on the grass. I think I just relied on my teammates, honestly. I, I definitely look to them for inspiration. I definitely always try to be a leader amongst my group as well. So just knowing that. Um, being that like strong figure that for them to lean on helped me stay grounded and just really focused. Um, but definitely it was difficult. I think 
for the most part, I just took it one day at a time and just really gave what I can give that day. And that's all you could really ask for at that time. How does it feel, though, too? Like your group, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. You got Brianna McNeil in there. You got Karan Clemens. So you guys have a lot of, I mean, Brianna McNeil is another. She was a world record holder and a, and a champion as well. Karan Clemens is a vet in the game. Like, what does it feel like to be, have that team around you and go through this together along, yeah, with you have like an amazing coach that has brought so many people to the top? Um, it feels good. I definitely love training with them every single day. And we're like a really good group, I feel like. Um, just with our personalities, I think we mesh well together as a group. And that definitely helps for training. You definitely want to be in an environment where you, you like the people you train with. Um, mm. um, we have, I think, four Olympic medals in our group currently. Um, and then three of those are gold. I don't even know how many Karan has, to be honest. He might have two. <laughs> um, but it's like being in a group like that, it, it makes you feel average. And I think, and it's so funny because it's like to the rest of the world, it's like, oh my goodness, you have a gold medal. And they're like, do you know anybody else that has a gold medal? I'm like, yeah, like three other of my training partners also have gold medals. So it's like in my amongst my friends, we're all the same, you know? Mm. So, and that's what, and I, and I like that aspect of it is like, we almost forget what we're doing and how amazing that actually is. Yeah. That sounds awesome as it really just like brings it back to like really a level playing field and also brings a little bit of competition to that as well. I bet in between you guys just at practice or even at meets. And I seen that you also competed a little bit this year, but did you do like two races or you did like one race? Talk about a little bit, just like the competition, the little bit of competition that you had this year. <sighs> We did some meets. I did some meets back in Dallas. I think that was pretty much all that I did, if I, my memory serves me correctly. Um, and it was really just trying to feel the competitive spirit again. I think that was really our goal of those meets. It wasn't to even run crazy fast times. It was just to kind of feel what it feels like to compete. You don't want to take an entire year off and just be shocked again your first race back, um, not remembering what jitters are or not even remembering, like, just finding that, like, fight within. Yeah. And then I kind of just want to rewind real big and as we were talking about just the current time, let's rewind, rewind, rewind it back to like your childhood. Just how was it like growing up back in New York? And really, was it always your dream to like be a track and field athlete? Like, what was your dream job as a kid? Like, what did you want to be when you grew up? I think my dream job as a kid is I wanted to be a ballerina, to be honest. <laughs> I know that sounds like really crazy, but I loved ballet and I loved watching it even from like a little girl. Um, so, and I always kind of pictured myself like being like on a stage one day, like performing. And I think I, I'm in some ways I kind of got that dream, but in a different way. Um, but once I joined the track team, it was just, I just felt such a pull to run track and yes, I loved it, but more so I just n had this feeling that like I needed to be there. Um, what is what is the uh, culture like for track and field in New York? Were you on a, was it a really big club scene? Um, was it super competitive there as well? It was. Um, I mean, I think California and probably Texas probably top notch in terms of competition. But New York, we definitely had a huge program as well. Um, huge, huge track team. I'd say 100 plus children. Um, yeah, so huge, huge from like all age groups from sub bantams. I don't remember what they're called now. Um, all the way to what is it? Intermediate youth. Yeah. Oh, young yeah. women. Yeah. So 
Huge track team. I started out as a sub bantam, so I was at like the Jeez, the man. youngest of the kids. <laughs> um, and yeah, huge. Yeah, obviously a lot of competition. Yeah, Joshua grew up grew up as a sub bantam. We grew up through the club scene. Joshua grew up as the youngest out of out of four. So this man was running laps around the house, playing track and field. So we know so a little bit about that me. life. <laughs> you know. I- <laughs> It's funny this morning, like these little kids, like they're like training on the the field that I was on this morning. And I just was looking at them like, I can't believe I was that young doing it. And it's just you're so I'm so far removed at this age. Mm-hmm. I think when you're that young, you don't realize how young you actually are. And seeing them do it, I'm just like, wow, like, crazy. One, fu- one funny story I have like about Aaron saying that is like I remember when they were because we have three older brothers. So two others besides Aaron. Like, I remember they were, like, training at track practice, and I would see them, like, train. I would tr- I was probably, like, four years old. So, like, I think that was one year younger than Subbatum. And the coach wouldn't let me be on the team. and But, like, I would be all, like, let me run, let me run. And I remember, like, one day the coach was, like, all right, you can – they're doing, like, 200 repeats, and they let me run the 200 repeats. I obviously got smacked because I was a Subbatum at four years old. But, like, the, really, the love <laughs> That's the crazy. love of the sport – Love on the sport like started so young. So like for you, when did that? When did you feel like you really like found a love for the sport? Uh, when you when you were running club or or even in high school. You know what? I, honestly, I think my love for the sport has just grown every single year. Um, and I don't remember like being the little kid like oh I. It's like it's funny that I say that now like I didn't love it, but I I loved being with my friends. I think mm-hmm. that was really what it is and. We were so competitive at that age and just and that was just such a game to us. So just to be competitive, I didn't even realize or grasp why I was doing it or what that even meant to me um, at that age. So honestly, I think once once I started getting a lot better um, and I got better, like maybe like in high school is when I really started to like fall in love with running. Would you say that also when was that moment in your life where you had a race or a season or something where you're like, wow, like this is something I want to do in the future. This is something I can see myself doing in college and, and beyond that. Yeah. I think the day I stopped running cross country. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wait, when did you, when did you run cross country? I want to so hear. So when that. I, when I was really little, I did distance. So I would do cross country and I, and I was a really good distance runner. Honestly, like I've even won like our, I don't even know, like our PSAL, that's what we call it in um, in New York. That's like mm-hmm. the league. I've won like, I think almost every year, maybe like except for my senior year, um, the champion, the track and field cross country championships. But I um, once, but when I was like 14 years old, I, for one reason this year, I just got a lot faster mm-hmm. and I could, was no longer running 1500s. I was now running the one and two. So I ran the one and two for a year. And I just, and I remember loving it then. Like I was finally fast. Like I was always like good in distance as a child, but I wasn't fast. So once I was fast and I would still run cross country in high school, but I kind of moved more to the 400 um, outdoor Mm. season. And yeah, I think that's what changed it for me. Like this I can do. Hey, I'm telling you though, a good, all good club coaches make your kids Run distance. You don't gotta be sprinting them and hurting their hamstrings at eight years old. I've seen, <laughs> I, I've heard that same similar story though. People that grow up running the fifteen in club, and then all of a sudden, they they running the running the hundred. Yeah, and, and that's so true. Off. 
That's so, so true. I think that's like the one advice I would tell everyone as like, let give them time to develop and just to become faster. Um, it's just, it's so unnecessary at such a young age, to be honest. And it really, it's like, it's really what I contribute my longevity in the sport to. And it's like, yes, I've been running since I was seven years old, mm -hmm. but I was running miles at seven years old. <laughs> like yeah. I was not sprinting at, you know, and not on an elite level either. Like I didn't become an elite till I was elite. When we gonna see you on the eighth though? Oh. <laughs> the eight? <laughs> You know, I think I'm going to run it one. I really don't. I honestly don't think I'd be that good at it, to be honest. But I am going to just do it one day just for the fun of it. If I'm like super in shape, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it just to put a time out there and see what I can do. That'll be interesting. We'll be watching. But I also was going to say the most uh, sprinters that I've seen uh, running in club, running long distance, they run they got in trouble and they had to run a 3,000. And like, that's what I saw. And they were cry crying going across the line. That's, that's all I got to say. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know any sprinter that wants to run distance at all. But then also with that, like you said, you went to high school, you started running the 400 more and more. When did you start running the hurdles? And when did you start running the 400 meter hurdles? And did you really feel like, did you feel like that was the event for me once you started doing it? I did. I, you know, I actually ran hurdles like ever since I kind of started track, like not good oh. at them, but I did like I think it's 80 meter hurdles when you're like really little. Then you do the 100, the 200. Mm -hmm. um, so I did all of those hurdles. So I would literally do like almost every single event. Like I was best at distance events and those were kind of like, you know, my bread and butter. But my coach would occasionally throw me in the 80s hurdles. Like he taught them at practice. Um, so I was, the first time I did 400 hurdles, I ran 64 seconds. I remember that. Um, and I was... I don't, I don't remember the first year you can run the 400 hurdles, like you're old enough to run it. So that's mm -hmm. like maybe 14. Um, and yeah, I think after running that time at such a, like a young age and that being the first time, that's when I was like, this is what I want to do. And was it always the, so you always preferred the four hurdles over the, over the one tens or the hundred? I'm sorry. I just, I just like to win. I think that's honestly what it was. <laughs> I and like I knew I was not winning those races and it was just yeah. like, this is too short. I'm not that fast. Um, and even when the 200 hurdles came along, I was like, okay, just if I had two more, 200 more meters, I might be able to catch them. And so I kind of was always looking forward to the 400 hurdles. Like this might be something I can actually win at. And I think that's just really what it was. I wanted to win. I didn't want to <laughs> go in a race and, you know, not be first. And, and you ended up, yeah, and you are definitely a winner at that event. I, I was looking up, I believe, in high school, you won uh, Nike Nike Nationals in the four hurdles as well. Um, and then you transitioned into USC. What was it like transitioning to college? Why did you feel like uh, US, USC was for you? You went from New York to Cali. Basically. Across the country. Yeah, across the country. That's a huge difference. Um, well, I think really I was a city girl. And so I definitely like was just, you know, you make your little checklist before you go anywhere um, or make any the huge decision. And it's like, I needed to live in a city. I had visited, and I love this school to death, but I visited Texas A&M and it was just like College Station, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> and, and it's just like, that was just coming from New York and being a city girl, I was just like, that's not what I can do. Like, I know me well enough to know I need to be able to see people. I need to be able to walk where I'm going. And I needed to not be this, sorry, damn hot. So, <laughs> yeah. 
So, and then it was like down to like California and University of Miami. And honestly, USC just had all the check marks for me. I loved their program. I loved their rich history of the school. Um, they had a great academics. Um, and I thought that was just like a great balance. And yes, it was far from home, but literally every school that I thought of going to was, a, I couldn't drive there. So for me, it really made no difference if I was taking mm -hmm. a five-hour flight versus mm -hmm. a three-hour flight. Yeah. And then what I really was curious about is like you're at USC. You have you have a great career, I would say, at USC. You're NCAA All-American, doing all these things, going to NCAA championships. But like, what was comparing to how you think about running now and how you approach the sport? Like, what's what do you think was the biggest change and what's the biggest difference? How do you? When you how did you approach the sport of running in college, and then how do you approach it now? Um, that's a good question. I think my intention is probably the hugest difference. I think going into college, I think in a lot of high school runners, and this is probably I think a mistake a lot of high school runners kind of make going into college. If you're already kind of one of the top runners. It's like you think no matter where you go, you're going to be good. And you think that if you keep doing what you're doing, you're absolutely going to be good. And that's not true when every single person that goes to college is good. Yeah. <laughs> or everyone that's on your team is now good. Um, and so I think it's just this intention. I think I just naturally kind of thought no matter what I did, I'd always be this top runner. And I think me today knows how much intention has to go behind what you're doing. And you can't just go through the motions and expect results. So I think for me, and that when that finally really clicked for me um, to just move with intention, move, the, move with purpose, that's kind of when a lot of things really changed from at least from high school, I mean, from college to professional. Because you, yeah, you were a, a really fast prospect coming out of high school as well and going to USC with a really big, rich history. What what was like your mentality like going to a team like that? And did you feel did you feel pressure going on there and, and being like, you know, someone that just came off winning a national national championship in high school? You know what? I didn't feel pressure. And that's probably where, where I think things went awry. Like I, there's just no way to say this even nicely. And I think I'm just going to say one. I think I had a huge arrogance with me in high school. Right? Mm -hmm. This idea that you can just be good no matter what. And yeah. it's just like, I'm going to be good no matter who I'm competing with. And I think um, that's who I was like in high school, just because at, in high school, sometimes when you're talent, you're really talented, things come a lot easier. It's like when you need to take that next step is yeah. when the work ethic has to also be there. Um, and that's maybe what I was possibly kind of lacking. Like, yes, I did the work, but not with the same motivation that it needed to be, at least in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, where was I going with this? Now I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> Would you say that, uh, the going to USC though too, and being, cause USC always oh, yeah. has top, top prospects. Would you say going to being in that environment with people that are just as good, we're just as good as you or, or better than you Did that, like, make you think like, man, I need to step up if I want to be on her level. I see. And I guess that's my point I was trying to make. I already thought I was on that level. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I think that's what that's what the point I was trying to make is like I had this idea that that's who I was and I was just going to be where my people was, not that I needed to work to be with those people and be amongst those great names that come from a school like USC. Um, I said this in another podcast like recently that I did with USC, actually, that I always just like this idea of being part of a team and wanting to be like one of the great athletes. And I and I think going into it, I already thought I was so and not and not and not in a realistic way, but just in a this is the next step of my life. And it, it will come no matter what effort that I put into it. I mean, yeah, I feel that. I mean, you were like 18, 17, you know, and you just won a championship. So you you own one <laughs> like you feel you feeling yourself. <laughs> And that, and that prepared you for for where you're at right now, you know, being world world champion, being the best ever in your event. But, you know, like I, you still like you said already, like you still you still got to work because that event is crazy right now. Exactly. And I think it's just it's just so many times I think we see so many athletes, especially like top high school athletes. And they're like, you're, you always wonder, like, why don't they sometimes pan out in college, like these huge high prospects? And I think it's really just changing that mindset of your talent is no longer even relevant (laughs) when everyone is talented. Yeah. And it's now how hard you work for it. So I think, yeah, it's just that making that huge transition from high school to college and then on a professional side, it's even different. And then I really want to talk about that transition from uh, college to professional because we see in the 2012 Olympic trials, I believe that's a year out of your year out of college from then. And you, you get knocked out the first round of the 2012 Olympic trials, but then like you come back the next year and you win USA's and you go to the world championships and get a bronze medal. Just what was the difference between that 2012 Olympic trials, first round knockout to bronze at, at worlds? Yeah. um, (laughs) My commitment, I think definitely just my commitment. I had to completely, and this is even so extreme, but from 2012 to 2013, I made like such extreme changes in life and I was leaving college unsatisfied. I, I got into college at 08 and I just knew the Olympics was 12. I'd be a senior and I'd be on the team. And that was like the goal. Um, And that's what I thought would just naturally happen. And when it was, well, when it was evident that it wasn't going to happen, and especially after those Olympic trials, I remember just um, speaking to my mom. And she didn't say, she didn't mean to say this in a bad way. And I hope it doesn't come across that. But she asked me, like, what happened? Mm-hmm. And, and I remember thinking, like, what did happen? Like, <laughs> what happened? Um I, I was, like you said, knocked out the first round. I, I wasn't, like, I was running, you know, just all out, like, a, not even close to, like, the time that I had hoped I'd be running. And so, yeah, just my, I made some drastic changes going into that year. I think that just kind of switched something in my brain, like, and went into, like, this fight mode. Like, I need this to happen. I want this to happen. How do I make this happen? Um so yeah, change coaches, change like my eating habits. I and I don't promote weight loss, but I had lost a lot of weight because I just had a high percentage of body fat, which 
I was always small, but I didn't really, in relation to like running, um, mm-hmm. I just had like a, a lot of body fat. So changed my diet completely. Um, got a lot, a lot stronger in the weight room. I like literally was PRing and like all of my Olympic lifts. Um, and then I also kind of like isolated myself, which was kind of sounded weird, but it's kind of like what I needed to kind of just kind of get back focused on the goal. And I, and I just kind of really honestly told myself that year that like I was going to be on that team. I didn't even, it wasn't even the goal to medal. It wasn't even the goal to win us champs in 13. It just was, I'm going to be on the team. And yeah, <laughs> I, I guess the rest is history. <laughs> That's awesome. I saw, I feel like I was just like, I was imagining like a uh, Rocky uh, four, just like <laughs> I was, a montage. I was, imagining Dark, <laughs> I was imagining Dark Knight Rises, bro. Oh, wow. <laughs> her, back got broke, her back got broken in 2012 and she came out and killed Bane, bro. Like that's what I was imagining, really. <laughs> playing, no, playing no games. But it just yeah. reminds me of like, I, I've always heard like, this quote, I think it's Will Smith. He's just like, you know, I just, you just got to make that decision. And I think like, too, I think it's cool how you talked about how you just had like that introspective uh, moment. Like when your mom was like, what happened? And you really had to ask yourself, like, what happened? Like, why did this not happen for me? What am I choosing to do that like didn't lead me to where I want to be? And I think a lot of people can relate to that in all aspects of life when something doesn't go the way way you want you really gotta be mindful and take a look at yourself and say why why is this happening and what can what can i do to change that so that's yeah that's awesome to awesome to hear from a champ (laughs) and absolutely i think you find so often that so many people have the exact same story like you mentioned will smith i just listened to nia a podcast nia did and nia told me exactly the same the literally almost the same exact story and I remember thinking like wow this I'm friends with this girl and I didn't even know that this is but it's just like I see her journey I know where she started where she's ended it's like why would I even think hers would be any different so it is really just making that commitment with like in yourself and really making a plan and following through and that's why we committed to these 52 episodes (laughs) on two black runners one year one year one year one year and just wait on it. Just wait on it. We grinding. We grinding too. We we trying to be like you, for real, for real. No, I think you guys already are. Y'all don't even know it. I, and it <laughs> like I, I feel like kind of weird saying this, but I don't. Like I'm so proud of both of you. Like I just love what you're doing. Like so, so much. Oh, thank you. Thank that you. means a lot. Thank you. One hundred. Also, I want to talk about this like uh, moment in time too. I want to like kind of draw the picture like from that time of 2013, you get that bronze medal going into the 2016 Olympics. When I when you look at like the 400 meter hurdles like at US champs and everything beyond there, there was sort of like a shift. There was like a change of guard because in 2013, you get third and Lashinda Demis gets second. And for what, from 2013 to like whenever, like Lashinda Demis was dominating, like she was dominating the 400 meter hurdles. And then it was kind of just like, at, at, at some point it was kind of wide open just like who would take over and i want to say in 2015 shamir little she wins u.s championships and it was like it was shamir little cassandra tate Corey carter and you finished like seventh place in that race just like during that changing of guard and like seeing who's going to be the top three 
who's going to be the top three going to the Olympic trials, going into the Olympics in 2016. Just where was your whole entire mindset going to Olympic trials as the 400 meter hurdles were really wide open in a sense? Yeah, it was absolutely. Um, you know, I don't think you think of it as a change of, of a guard when you're in it. Um, sometimes you're just trying to climb the ladder. And I think for me, that's kind of what it was. I had this kind of breakout season in 13 and then 14, quiet, 15, not great. Um, and now I'm there 16 and there's obviously new people on the scene, Shamir Little. Um, I remember watching her the whole college, um, season. There's also yeah. Corey, there's Georgian is in the mix. Um, and <sighs> Honestly, it was it was another type of year for me too, because 15 didn't go the way I wanted it to, and in 16 I changed coaches again, <laughs> and I I remember just kind of making that commitment that, and this time I my goal was to win the Olympics. It wasn't to make the team. I, mm. I wanted to win, and I and I think I just moved very intentionally at training, and I really gave, I guess not all every single day with the intention of being on that team and probably a, a month before the trials. And I would hear the whispers of kind of like what's going on. You you obviously pay attention to the sport of your competition, um, but trying not to focus on it. And I just remember feeling like I am faster than I've ever been. Um, yeah. So it was, I still hadn't competed with any of these girls. So at least for definitely not Shamira because she was in college, um, maybe Corey or um, Georgiana at some point, but it was just kind of, I felt confident, but you never, ever know. And I think that's kind of what it was. It was just like, what's going to happen on that day? Um, and I just was feeling like I'm as ready as I can possibly be. We'll see where this gets me. Yeah, and that that's that's crazy. Like we were saying earlier, how like just fierce the 400-meter hurdles are on the men and the women's side. And honestly, looking into your, your come up, like you've had like a very – like you had those breakout years, but I just feel like you just are someone that gets better every single year. And it's like led to you like now you're like the fastest ever. What was it like to like as you're getting better and better every year? We're hearing about Corey Carter, George Ann, Ashley Spencer, Shamir Little. And then you get into this 2016 moment where you kind of like, I mean, I'm going to be blunt, but you kind of smacked everybody. And you ran, you smack, yeah, you smacked the, you she smacked did. the entire yeah. field. But at the, the same tape. time, we can pull up the tape. But at the same time, we have a uh, Sydney McLaughlin beginning her 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 rise and ascension too, and they're kind of like prepping prepping her to be, you know, one of the faces of the U.S. in the Olympics. I just wanted to, how has it been just having that uh, rivalry with her or having that fierce competition with her? as you guys are like kind of like coming on this rise at the same time. Yeah, I think, <laughs> well, I guess I'll take a step back. I think for one is just like, I've never, I don't think I've ever, I've never felt like the clear favorite at no point in my career, even when I possibly was. I think for me, it's always been that I, I just know and respect the other women too much. And I know their talents. I know their capabilities to ever really feel that comfortable. So I think, you know, going forward, and especially now you have a, an additional part person, let's say, well, not additional, but also Sydney added to that mix. It, it gets to me, it doesn't feel any different. I think it's always been that level of uncomfort, like, 
at least in terms of competing. Um, and I guess it, for me, I do feel, I mean, I've done, you know, I've been around a little bit longer than Sydney, obviously. So I do feel mm-hmm. that sense of um, age difference um, and just our stories. I think our stories are quite, quite different. Um, yeah, you know, it's just kind of weird because <laughs> it's like a, one part of me is like I enjoy watching her journey. And the yeah. other side, and then the other part of me is like, well, this is still somebody you have to compete against. So it's like that that you know that older person in me that's just like you know I'm excited like everybody else. <laughs> you know, I wish there wasn't people can stop acting like you know there's this real rivalry when I'm just as excited for her. But then on the other side is like, but then you have to get back to work, and then you still have to compete. So it's, it's that's just kind of what it's like. <laughs> yeah, I think it's gonna be really cool. Just like once once you're all done, to really just like look back onto this time just to see like how competitive it really is. Cause on the outside looking in every single time you guys race against each other, it's, it's like Ali versus Frazier. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like, it, it really is like at that point to where you guys are top two ever in the event. And it's, it's definitely like something special to be honest. And it really, really is. And I think it's, it's kind of weird. And I think, you know, it's weird because I think for so long, and this is not me, and this is kind of this is just kind of a, a fact. I think a lot of people even say to me now, like you weren't given like the respect that you quite possibly was deserved, and mm-hmm. and it's so now and it's like now that you have Sydney on the scene, and obviously she she has the following. People know her more so than myself. It's like well now I'm like you have to give this girl respect, but and and it's unfortunate because it's like it's we're so much we're both so deserving and if that was not the case we would all look at this like wow these two women have run the fastest time ever in this 400 meter hurdles and it would just be something that was celebrated and left at that yeah i think when it's all said and done i think we get caught up in the battle i'm not even gonna lie me and joshua have heated (laughs) me and joshua got heated debates we got we have heated debates (laughs) And and that's all good. I think that's all good. That's what, you know, this sport, any sport is built on is rivals. And that, that part of it is great, you know? Um, But there can be more than one person that, you know, is talked about. There can be more than one. I think in track and field is like, we forget that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and you guys are on the same, at the end of the day too, it's like, I mean, we got the top two ever from the u.s you know dominated two two black queens up here dominating honestly yeah if we go to the 400 hurdles list i mean with Corey winning the world championship in 2017 too it's just like we get this sweep at usa and what if everyone runs like 52 or something like it's insane and to i really would love that that's that is insane and clearly hasn't been done so i i, I would love to be a part of that that's just the truth like and we can 100% do it and this year well next championships god willing will be taken four. Oh, yeah that would be uh, I, I would love to see board. it I would love to see it. what do you think about what do you think about the 400 hurdles though that like produces such fierce competitors because like when I see you on the line like I was re-watching some of your races when I see you on the line I see Sydney on the line Corey Corey got famous for her little thing at the world championships like y'all be y'all be ready like y'all be ready to attack like 
Carson Warholm be hitting his face before. Carson exactly. Warholm be hitting his face, screaming. Like, you you got to be different to run the four hurdles. What you is gotta it about be different. it? I think you said it right. You just really got to be different. I think our personalities are so similar in a weird way. It's like you have to be a certain type of person to run the 400 meter hurdles. So you see that and we're so competitive, competitive just in every aspect of life. And you see it when we run. And I think there's a level, not to toot my own horn, but a level of intelligence that comes with running the 400 hurdles and being a good 400 meter hurdler. Like you have to have that. Even Sydney, I remember she said something one day and she probably didn't even know why I was laughing, but I was laughing because I'm like, wow, I would have said the exact same thing. Like, <laughs> So I think it's just like, we definitely have shared this like same kind of personality that just makes us like who we are is, who you see on the track is like who we are in life. <laughs> 100 percent that's tight as you talk about like the intelligence of like running the 400 meter hurdles what do you think is like the real like what's the hardest part to get down as you go across like the hurdles in those four in that 400 there's a rhythm to the race it's definitely and it's unique almost to each person but when you find that like real rhythm and how to really pace it out perfectly it's like when you see such amazing things happen um for myself people see me take it out but it takes for one training but just a, a smartness to kind of know how far fast I can actually take this out without completely dying at the end so um you just really become in tune with like your mind and your body and just where you are at each stage of the race and that's like I mean obviously they have that in other races but sprints probably not as much because the race is just too short distance you have a lot more time to kind of make it up but that 400 is like that perfect race where it's just like right in the middle and you got to be spot on yeah it's most similar to the to the eight that just sounds like that sounds like an 800 that's how i, I could really relate yes, to that absolutely definitely like the 800 for sure and then have you always just been like someone that takes it out hard those first couple of hurdles because like you you destroy those first three like you go off that first go off. yeah <laughs> No, I wasn't. I think I, no, I wasn't at all. I used to be from the back always, like got out super slow and just kind of came home strong. Um, and then when finally when my coach was like, you're, to be able to do that, it's like, you have to be strong, but actually those girls that do that are really, really fast too. And it's like, it's almost the opposite. You would think yeah. that the girls that's catching up are the ones that are just like strong, but those are the girls that's also fast and just holding their weight and to use their speed. And they're like, you're a strength runner. Like you run, you've run distance, like take it out as hard as you can and, and hold on. Hold on. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, that brings right back to the eight as as well in some sense as, as sense as well to really just be be strong with it. But then also, I want to just could you use just one word to describe the state of the four inch meter hurdles? I know we we're talking about that <laughs> earlier, but what's like one word you would use just to describe like the battle between Rye Warholm and Armed Samba as well, and then the battle on the women's side as well in the 400 meter hurdles right now oh man one word I, the first word that comes to my mind is ridiculous so <laughs> <laughs> that, i wish yeah. i let me i wish That's i had fair. a better word to come up with um yeah i guess ridiculous it really really is and i think it's it's, it's exciting to watch I'm, I'm, i mean i obviously like like watching the boys more more so than the girls because i'm not a part of that one um yeah, but it's exciting and it's ridiculous. I say just, I'll just stick with that. 
do you ever feel like there's like a competition to like competing with like the men's race maybe to be to make it more competitive or like to break the world record first as you you broke the world record before them but like did it ever feel like a competition a little bit in that in that sense in any type of way um, it does. It definitely does. They definitely talk about it. And it definitely, um, even at this past world championships, it was kind of like, you know, um, Warhol didn't break the world record. Are the women going to do that? So it's definitely mm -hmm. that kind of rivalry. But if I say so myself, I think we're winning it. So. <laughs> you guys are definitely winning it. Uh, we got to get Rye on here, on here too to, to see, what, see what he thinks. But y'all race was definitely a little bit more more fun to watch at, at Worlds. That was, no, that was no, crazy. That, that was good race. And I definitely would love to see them all healthy at the same exact time. And that'll oh, be an amazing watch um, race to watch and including my teammate Karan so yeah true true and then also I want to ask we didn't get to ask this earlier but what was like which world record was sweeter last year the one at U.S. championships or the one at world championships which one was sweeter for you and why man I don't huh, that's a good question I guess maybe the U.S. championships, and only because doing it at home is different. Yeah, it's definitely you feel that, and it's like you just you feel energy. Um, obviously, people are supportive from you overseas, but um, it's nothing like doing it in front of your hometown, and you definitely feel that. The streets were just crazy that night. Like I literally couldn't walk a block like without someone yeah. stopping me. And that's awesome. And it's crazy because yeah. I wasn't expecting that. I, yeah. I had, I'm just like, oh, I'm going to go out and celebrate. Like, why not? And I never even really do that. Um, so it was just kind of like one of those moments where I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Like, thank you so much. <laughs> Did you expect to break the world record in any of those races? Or were you just more focused, like, winning? In Des Moines, it's not that I expected it, but I definitely was trying to if that makes sense. I definitely, that was definitely, I thought I was like fit enough to do it. And like, you kind of know where you're at in training and what you're um, capable of running. And I knew it was possible. And I always really run good during rounds. So I was like, let me take this opportunity to, to do that, to actually go for it. When did the, when did it start? Uh, when did you start thinking like, I have an opportunity to like break this world record? Was it, did your coach approach you in practice one day? Like, oh, we're going to start doing world rec world record paces. Or was it something that you guys just kind of figured out through the times that you're running that like we could start doing these world record paces and getting there? Um, I think in 2017, honestly, it became possible to me. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of when I started thinking about it. Like, um, I was running really, really fast that year and I was doing really, really well and I got injured. So I think I um, definitely was thinking about it there. And then 18 was an off year. And then 19, again, it was just like, okay, let's get back on this. Like, we were so close before um, in 2017. Um, but let's, let's push this again. But honestly, ever since I think the Olympics has kind of been on my mind like and yeah. obviously with the competition honestly at this point I, it's like you literally have no choice so exactly. that's what i was about to say like what's so crazy about the four hurdles is like you gotta break the world record or you gotta be like super close to it to be the best in it because i mean even before you hit 52s you know people were running like 53 lows and now yeah. as we're in the 52s it's just like 
that's just the new standard. And that's what's exactly. awesome about when we're talking about changing the guard, all these different girls, it kind of just pushed it to a whole nother level. Cause it was like, who's going to come out on top? And it was just like, boom, world record. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's just, that's what it feels like. It's like that the world record is the new standard. So, or better than the world record is the, the new standard. If you want to win 51 coming soon, we're going we to see a 51. <laughs> 51. <laughs> <laughs> And then we're going to talk a little bit uh, more track at the end of the pod. But before we get to like the closeout questions, I think we have to like take a time to like acknowledge what's really been going on in 2020 off the track, especially and just like around around the world for the most part, from beginning to like George Floyd, uh, Marta Arbery, uh, Breonna Taylor actually just watched a video on Brianna Taylor's boyfriend, like for she was like an interview with Gail King talking about that. And it's really just tragic on everything that's happened since then. And from you, you live in LA as well and seeing I, I bet you've seen some some protest and just been seeing it all over the news. Just like what were your init- initial reactions to the civil unrest that were happening around in our country? And how was it handling all of that with your training as well? Oh man, you know, I think. Well, I guess initially, obviously, we all watched the video of, of George Floyd and we all saw what, you know, happened in front of our eyes. So it, to say I was heartbroken is like saying the most minimal thing I could possibly mm-hmm. even think of. Um, and it just was so unfortunate to see that. And it's just so unfortunate that things like this are still occurring in the year 2020. Um, and as an athlete, it definitely... I just feel like you want to, you, as an athlete, you have this, like you're kind of put on this pedestal in a sense and you want to do so much, but then you also feel like, what can I do? And you always, it's always this, like, you're always kind of battling the situation of, um, do you speak up on these matters? Do you not? Um, because there's so many things that come up that come into play when you, you speak out in public and, and the, the, the ugly side of it that you almost sometimes makes athletes feel as if they don't have a voice or, or if they use their voice, they can have negative an, a negative outcome. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, so when I saw the rest of the world out as outraged as they was, it was kind of like, this is our all our moment to, to just to be a part of that and let's use our voices to speak out on what we see every day, what we experience as black athletes, what we experience is just um, in America in general. And now it's kind of that time to just use our voice and um, be one, t- one united team in this fight uh, against this racial injustice. Yeah. And it's just crazy that it's just amazing to see everyone have that similar feeling and mindset that connects people. I always feel like uh, with Black people, it's just like that generational trauma that hits you. For me, when the videos first came out, like I always try to avoid watching it, but eventually, you know, you have to watch it. And it's just such, it's such a trigger. And yeah, it, it, it shouldn't have taken COVID to trigger the entire world like it did, but that's what it took. And it's like the civil rights movement is, is right now. Mm -hmm. So it's just, yeah, yeah. absolutely. 
it shouldn't take this. It shouldn't even take, you know, obviously the video that we watched for things like this to occur. But now that they have, it's just like we all need to be kind of a part of it and speak our minds and speak to change these these wrongs that we literally experience every single day. It's almost to the point where it's become normal. We become desensitized to it. And yeah. it's like, no, now we feel it. <laughs> let's let's remember what we're what we're actually witnessing and let's let's do something about it. And speaking on just Aaron, real quick on like the generational trauma. Yesterday, I was watching uh, "Do the Right Thi- Do the Right Thing," the Spike Lee joint, and like it was when at the end of the movie, uh, not to like, well, I'll just Radio Raheem, like he he dies, he dies by the hands of like pol- police brutality. Then like right after that, Spike Lee character throws a trash can into Sal's into Sal's uh, pizzeria and destroy the pizzeria, and it really just brought me back to like history really repeats itself and like yep. the the cause of like of that generational trauma when it gets triggered again like when you see your comrade go down in a sense like your black brother or sister and you guys been been going through so many pain through the years just when something like that it's going to trigger like some it's going to trigger some anger it's going to trigger some anger in a lot of the point and like the point of that movie wasn't to show that like that even that's the best thing to do to have like that that aggressive reaction because at the end it has a Malcolm X and a Martin Luther King quote about like that's not the real answer at the end of the day, but it's really just it's it's crazy it's crazy to see like how this thing keeps on repeating, and we saw and I feel like this is, can definitely be a change and especially how athletes like you Delia Delia have really like stepped up and like spoke out. How did it feel to see like your U.S. teammates? really spoke out from like Noah Lyles with his fist and like Marielle Hall writing race in this state alive and from everything in between that. It just felt good. It felt good to be a part of that, honestly. And I'm so proud of those athletes. I definitely watched, uh, read that Marielle Hall piece and just with so many athletes just speaking out um, against what's going on. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just honestly, I'm proud of them. I'm proud to be a part of that team. Yeah. And, on on the black off the track where uh, you you participated in that article as well um you talked about how sometimes in america it feels like you have to be the the best or not spoken about and uh you recalled on a moment before worlds where someone told you you have to win this race um can you just like expand on that on that on that thought yeah i think well, especially this 2019 season and with just so much, um, but obviously we know the 400 hurdles is so competitive. Um, and it's, and it, it came to the point where, um, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, it's like there can be more than one person that's, you know, shown respect. There can be more than one person that's celebrated. Um, and so I guess, but as I was competing for this for the 2019 season, it became very apparent to me that there could literally only be one and for a person of color, um, for myself. And there's obviously other 400 meter hurdlers that are um, black. <laughs> but and it was just like it was there. But the, in this world that we live in, it's like it's only accepted for one of us. And it's like, and if that's only the case, if you are number one, it's like, because at that point it has to be 
Like you have absolutely, you tick every single box. And that's what it feels like sometimes that you must do that to get any type of notoriety or any type of respect or any any outside endorsements. Like people are not willing to like want to support you. It's like as if you don't fit some mold of like the look that they want. Um, so yeah, and it's just like, and it's like, you felt that I, I knew, I knew that was case the case, I guess that whole entire year, but, um, that night or whatever, whenever it was before that race and that person saying that to me, it was just like, wow, like, yes, I, I, I know that this is kind of the world that we live in, but it's like at so much, you still hope that it's not. Yeah. And it's just like, and he kind of just put that into like, no, just in case you forgot. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, so it just was like one of those moments where it's just like you're kind of like your worst fear is coming true. And it's like in that moment, it's nothing you can do about it. And it's like even winning the race doesn't feel like a win. It feels like now you're just kind of following a mold that, yes, I've checked every box. So now you have absolutely no choice to to hand it to me. But at the same time, what have I changed for the person behind me? 100 and yeah you hit every nail on the head and i think like what you're saying too uh for people listening like that applies to not just sport like in every facet of life you know it's like in america they they only want that one token black guy or black girl and you're the black dude at your job and there's another one that come up and they're like oh like this is gonna be you you or him like who's that who's that guy now and they're they're always kind of pitting us against against each other um, in a way because yeah if we if we're av- if we are average or even slightly you know if we are above above average it just seems like we don't get the opportunities that someone that is not the same skin color would get, get that someone that's not the same skin color gets and they're not they they could not be number one they get some opportunities that we don't get. And then if we complain, it's like, oh, you, you're lazy. And yeah. And then, then it just gives it to somebody else. It's like you either shut up <laughs> or you just, you just get passed on and that's never, and, and it's okay in this world. So, yeah, I mean, like you, you just said it very well. <laughs> also, I want to bring up like just the point of, I'm going to give my soapbox for a second. Like, I feel like that's also, this may not be the root of the problem. I for sure, I for sure know it's not the root of the problem, but it's just in the case, I feel like that also happens just because of track doesn't get the respect that it deserves as like a sport and especially Olympic sport. Cause you look at something like, like I love watching tennis and I love watching even gymnastics when the Olympics come around or even t- well tennis all year round. But then you have like someone like Serena Williams and now Naomi Osaka, Coco Golf and Venus Williams, like all these, and Sloane Stevens, like all these black women at the head of the sport and they can be like queens for that reason. And we all we all respect them in that way. And then even looking at somewhere in the WNBA with all those black women that did amazing things, and all, but all the women that did amazing things this year in the, in the wobble. And then also even in gymnastics with Gabby Douglas and Simone Biles, they were all able, they were able to get their flowers when they're there. Like, I think I hope in the next few years, like tr- people on the outside looking in, fans are gonna be able to realize like how many like 
how many great black women there are in track and field and like see the abundance of great things that you guys do year in and year out from all around because it really it's it really is an army of you guys and just shown of like power at the highest place i feel like but for women and men as well on that stage and i feel like there needs to be that certain there needs to be that respect for track and field in that way for like the whole world will see that and everybody will get their flowers but that's just track track media and track we just need to do better for that can be seen i feel like and i agree with you 100 percent. it's definitely you know track we're behind in that area absolutely but even you know I think as for black women, though, even black men is like sometimes we do have it's just the road that we have to take is a, is a lot more difficult. And it's and it's so difficult. It's so difficult to the point where it's just like it, it shouldn't be this hard any longer. And even people like Serena is like or even um, Simone is like they have done so much for their sport in terms of just like in the time, like the level of competition, like what they've been able to accomplish. And it's, so it's like you almost question would they have that if they haven't accomplished what they have done there's like people have exactly what those two women have that have done far less mm, um yeah. so it's like but for as a black woman you have to do so much more um yes they're at the top of their sport but they're so much deserving of it it's not even funny and they're probably deserving of so much more yeah and, and for athletes too like that like when I when I'm when I'm talking to Dalia Muhammad, when I'm talking to Serena, I mean I'm not talking to Serena, but if I'm talking to Serena or Simone, <laughs> like they're great, uh, not just great like black women athletes, like they're great athletes. Like Serena Williams is one of the best athletes ever to grace the the earth. Dalia Muhammad Absolutely. is the best hurdler, one of the best hurdlers to ever grace the track. So super honored to have you on today but yeah let's recognize these women as athletes too yeah most definitely most definitely and with that being said with that being said Aaron I think we should hit some of these close out questions real quick and just uh start closing out the podcast like Aaron said like thank you for coming on we really do appreciate joining us here on the two black runners podcast but before we get you out of here we just have a few questions okay. and first off I just want to ask like Who's your like your favorite track athlete to watch right now in any sport? Like who do you what's or just a what event do you love watching right now besides the 400 meter hurdles? I, didn't, I mean, I really do like the 400 hurdles, the men. I think that's probably like my favorite event. Um Man, honestly, I guess the the I don't even like I don't, okay, this kind of is bad. I don't like the 800, but I do like watching Donovan race. So I think Donovan is probably like my favorite probably athlete right now to like watch race. Mm. He a beast. He a beast. Yeah. He's unstoppable <laughs> right now. I'm excited to see him in the Olympics. Me too. Me too. <laughs> then also we're wondering if you could have a dinner with five people, dead or alive, who would it be? Just a nice dinner, dead or alive. Anyone you want, who would it be? Oh man. Well, definitely Kobe. That's number one. Shout out. Shout out Lakers um, got that championship. <laughs> Man, I've been a big fan from for Oprah for a while. I would love to have dinner with her. Um, this is a kind of a weird option, but I, I read her book and I just felt so, I guess, connected to her in a weird way. So I'm going to go Gabrielle Union. Okay. Um, man, I'll do Malcolm X. 
That'd be number four. Five can go any way. What would five be? There's so many different great options. Oh man. I might go like Jay-Z or somebody like that. I don't think I'm gonna go Jay-Z. That's a good list. I'd, I'd, I'd like like a, a business, like a, we'd have a great like business conversation, just pick his mind. So Kobe, Oprah, Malcolm X, Jay-Z, and Gab Gabrielle Union. Gabrielle Union, yeah. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> big big moves going on in that meeting. For real, honestly. Also, you kind of mentioned uh, you got, mentioned Gabrielle Union's book. Are there any like TV shows or books you've been uh, watching during during COVID that you would recommend? Oh man, I think everybody's been watching everything. I've been binge watching things on Netflix. <sighs> What's something I'd recommend? Hmm, I don't, I don't really know. I just watched this haunted show. I forgot what it's called. It's like new that just came out. It was pretty good. I'd the watch haunting? that. Is it like the? It's like the haunting of something. Of I forgot the name. Something with a B. I'd watch that on Netflix. I'd recommend that. And also, we were wondering, like, when it's all said and done, once you're done with running, like, what do you want to do afterwards? Do you have any plans of what you want your career path to look like afterwards? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely want to stay in like the sports world. I definitely want to, I did a business, that was my major in um, college. I definitely want to stay in that kind of business world, marketing, advertising. I'd love to be like on the other side of Nike and kind of working that way. Um, mm -hmm. Just, I'd love to just help promote women more too. I think that's kind of where I'm at in life right now and how we can better be represented and what can be changed in the face of our sport. You know what I would have loved for Nike to do for marketing? Uh, Y'all, on Laugh Now, Cry Later, there's a part when Drake is running on, either at Nike headquarters, Drake is running on the treadmill. Uh, I forget who he's running against, but he falls off. I was like, why is there not a Nike-sponsored track athlete on there we could have had Delia on there. <laughs> You're right. You could have. <laughs> that would have been. That would have been. That would have been dope. But yeah, I, I think, think you. you I agree. I think it's so many things that we could do more. It's just like they saying our sport is like what is happening with our sport is like what are we doing to to change that? Like what are we doing to market us better? To just there's so many different tools nowadays with just YouTube, different podcasts, and obviously the traditional commercials just so many different outlets that can just be and can just be used so much more and then this is a question that aaron wrote but i i don't know he said do you think that 50 seconds is possible <laughs> in the 400 meter hurdle this to me coming out of my mouth sounds ridiculous but you're the one running it so i don't i don't know you may have more faith than me um yeah uh oh yeah, Aaron, your wish hey. may come true. We'll see. It's be I don't crazy. know. If I, not, I don't know by me, but I think um, <laughs> I think it's possible. I think if women, let's say the world record in the four hundred. Now, if this is a dirty record, I do not know. But if I think it's like forty-seven something. Now, yeah. let's for if that was crazy. a a clean record, a three-second difference, that's possible. We'll, we'll have to see. We'll so that would see. be fifty point nine. Yeah, if that if that record is possible, then fifty point nine is possible. Then also, we ask this question every single time somebody comes on Two Black Runners podcast. Like, who should we have next on Two BR? Who do we need to get on a Two Black Runners podcast? Who fits this mold? Oh man, have you guys had? I don't even know. Have you had Marielle Hall? 
We have. We have. Oh, okay. That's the only. That's Joshua's favorite. Yeah, that's a great podcast. Uh, Okay, so I would go Nia. I'd go Nia Ali then. That would be tight, too. She has a really good story, and I think, um, yeah, she's definitely making big moves. So, yeah, I definitely would go her. And at the end of the day, when you're done running track and field, what mark do you want to leave on the sport? That's it. I feel like the, you get those questions. It's like you can go so many different routes and answers. I guess I want to be someone like we think of like Muhammad Ali and not not to compare myself to Muhammad Ali, but just being that that person that's like just so much more than an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it came to like political views and I guess when this is all said and done, I want what I do after that this seems like minuscule to what comes after most definitely yeah. so it won't be the once she's done running y'all that won't be the last of you here here of her nike y'all lucky to have her she's gonna make some big moves on the track world and we're gonna we're gonna need you on the running report too after that you gonna we're gonna have to hit you up okay okay <laughs> <laughs> get here arguing about the next the next generation of 400 meter hurdles get some arguments on there <laughs> that would be fun that would be really fun absolutely and with that said we're really going to close out the podcast so if you listen to this far like aaron always says you are a real homie we really do appreciate it. don't forget the rate uh rate subscribe share the podcast and aaron you got anything else to say before we close out just thank you, Delia, for for coming on. Um, just thankful for the opportunity to speak to a, a goat. Uh, yeah, so I hope everyone enjoyed this podcast as much as we did. But hopefully we, we'll talk to you more soon. And good luck on breaking uh, 51. Get that 50 point in the four hurdles. <laughs> <laughs> 50 point. Well, thank you, guys. It's definitely an honor. Thank you for just keep doing what you're doing. Like I said before, I really am truly proud of like what you guys are doing. I think as for two young black men, you guys represent um, your generation well. And yes, so thank you for I'm honored to be here. And yeah, it was a good talk. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.